From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is Wisconsin lawyer and political hopeful, Rachel Mays. Yeah, it's so awesome to have you here. I think this is going to be a great conversation. I was very excited early on starting this show to have somebody who um, is running for public office. So I think that's very fascinating. We're getting some representation out there and it's, it's just wonderful to see. When did you first realize you were different and what were those clues? When I was, when I was four years old, um, I remember being at daycare and um, I just wanted to play house and I wanted to be the mom. And there was a box of dress-up clothes, and I remember putting on just like a pretty basic cotton dress, just playing mom, taking care of my, my, my kids. <laughs> and my dad came to pick me up from daycare, and on the way home, we had the boys don't wear dresses conversation. And um, it always struck me as, as weird, like, wh- why? Mm-hmm. why? Why don't boys wear dresses? But those feelings of dysphoria, they fluctuated in both intensity and frequency um, as I got older. And like, I remember when I was um, maybe six or seven going over to a cousin's house and um, it was raining outside. So we pretended to be in a parade and I, I, I wore my cousin's ballerina tutu. And the next time I went over, I asked if we could play parade again. But I think the first moment where, like, I had concerns about, like, the body that I was growing into, um, I remember I was six years old, and I was sitting on my climbing fort in my backyard, and I remember telling my best friend, you know, I, I, I think I might be gay. And there, there, wasn't, there wasn't terminology like we have today. I mean, this was around 1990, um, around the time Ellen DeGeneres came out, and I mean, the, the terminology was pretty much straight or gay. And I, I remember explaining further to my friend after I said, I think I might be gay. Uh, when I grow up, I want to have uh, breast implants so that I can help my wife breastfeed our children or our babies. Mm-hmm. And that's totally not how it works. <laughs> that's totally not how it works. But I think it was telling that even at a young age, like before I you know, knew anything about gender or sexuality or even basic puberty and human development, um, I was already having this kind of disconnect and that something just wasn't sitting. The breast implants is a new one that that I haven't heard before, so that's great. I don't even know how I knew what breast implants (laughs) were when I was six years old. I just love that that concept of not having the language to know what transgender was and yet knowing what breast implants were. So when did you when did you start to realize that you were trans? I mean, like I said, the the feelings of dysphoria they they fluctuated, and I remember you know there were several pretty major benchmarks along the way. I mean, I remember um, in seventh grade um, I went trick or treating as Minnie Mouse, and I mean it was this big joke, and like everyone was getting a good laugh out of it. But in order to in order to dress feminine, it had to be comical. Mm-hmm. Um, like it wasn't boys don't wear dresses. I mean, that's, that's, you know, kind of where the mindset was at. So in order, in order to, in order to do that, it had to be done in a kind of comedic type of a setting. But I mean, that was probably my favorite trick or treating. I think that was the last year that I went trick or treating, but, hmm. um, 
I got to be me. I mean, in high school, I was captain of the football team. I played rugby. I was in mock trial and on the social studies academic team. I mean, trying to be, you know, jack of all trades. Um, Mm. You get your your rules of, you know, what you're what's expected of you and, you know, what successful looks like. And gosh darn it, I wanted the high score. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I, I went through school and I graduated high school with 29 college credits. Um, I graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the top 10% of my graduating class. Uh, I married three weeks into my junior year of college. Um, I had three kids and two dogs and um, gorgeous wife and um, decent house and just trying to rack up all the points of the things that you know, that's that's what success looks like in the American dream. Yeah. American dream achieved. Check. Yep. What more could someone ask for? Hmm. Except maybe some internal happiness. So when did it start to to manifest itself? Were, were you already no. in the relationship with the woman that would become your wife? We started dating uh, my sophomore and junior year of high school. I mean, we'd been together for a long time. Um, I proposed during spring break of our freshman year of college. And at that point, I didn't know what, what those feelings were. Um, but at the time I thought it was kind of British or a kink and, um, I just, I couldn't come to terms with the fact that I was trans. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was important to me though, t- after proposing that she go into the marriage kind of eyes wide open and not have this be a secret. I didn't want to go into, you know, a fresh marriage already hiding secrets. So I I told her within a day or two of proposing, I like to wear women's clothing Mm -hmm. and I definitely have a a feminine side to my personality. As, as college went on and as, um, I got into law school, I mean, I took a couple of years off between, um, college and law school, um, make some money, buy a house, you know, check off a couple more boxes in the American dream. (laughs) Um, But when I went back to law school, I mean, there was a lot of stress because I was working full time and I was going to law school on the weekend. So I'm taking four classes a semester, 11 credits on top of working full time. And between the feelings of dysphoria and the stress from law school and the stress from working full time, and halfway through law school, kid, um, the depression hit me pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I was averse to seeking help at that point. And I thought that going on antidepressants was going to be putting me on mood stabilizers. And that's totally not not what they are. I didn't want to sacrifice the happiness in my life. So I just kept trudging through the sadness and I, I, I didn't have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, at that point, I should have reached out for help. Well, about nine months after moving back to Green Bay, um, my, my wife and I had our third and final child. And I think after the, the obstacle was removed from my path that like, I wasn't holding out for any more kids. I had had like I had the family that was in the you know ten year plan mm-hmm. after getting married, not having to worry about 
being able to have any more kids, I think was the final obstacle that was removed from my way before I realized I'm, 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 I'm transgender. And it was, it was frightening to think about what that meant. Yeah. Um, all of the, all of the, you know, media representations, cause I, I didn't know any transgender people. Um, I never met a transgender person, but all of the media representations that we were, that, that we were shown, I mean, transgender people were depicted as either sociopaths or comic relief, mm -hmm. or they were sex workers, or they were murdered sex workers, or they were on, you know, Jerry Springer and Maury Povich. And like, I didn't see myself any of those representations. Mm -hmm. So it was really tough for me to come to terms with the fact that those, that those people aren't me, those depictions aren't me. So you're sort of like, but, where is it going to go for me? How is it going to, how is this going to happen, right? Right. And I actually started um, a Tumblr blog just kind of as a, kind of as a journal or a diary. And it started as, um, you know, just me capturing my in the moment feelings as far as, you know, do I go on with my, you know, seemingly successful life as, as a man, or do I give myself permission to, to be me and to try to find happiness? Mm. And not to say that there wasn't happiness in my life. I mean, I, I had a fantastic spouse. I had three amazing children, but I personally wasn't happy with my life. Mm. Um, every day that I didn't transition was another step down a path that I didn't want to go down. Like There was no part of me that wanted to become an old man. Yeah. That was, that was terrifying. I think a good analogy was, or would be that each day it was easier for me to keep putting on the suit and tie than to have this, you know, monumental shift in, in my life. Yeah. And every day was like putting a pebble in my pocket and, you know, each day the, the, the one pebble isn't that big of a deal, but after years, decades um, of putting those pebbles in my pocket, that weight got pretty heavy. Yeah. And I mean, my mental health suffered. Um, mm. I, I went to a pretty dark place. Um, and once I came to terms with, you know, what I needed to do to address my mental, physical, emotional health needs, um, it was such a huge weight lifted off my shoulder. Like I said, at that point, I mean, I, I didn't know until I, I didn't know and I hadn't met any other trans um, transgender individuals until about two months after I was living full time as myself. Oh, wow. um, until okay. two months after I transitioned at work. So I'm going through this not knowing, you know, what's what's my family going to say? How are they going to react? What are my friends going to say? Am I going to lose my job? And most importantly, what's my spouse going? Mm -hmm. And I didn't transition for a long time because in all honesty, I loved her more than I loved myself. And it took hitting rock bottom and getting to a point where I had suicidal ideation before I realized, holy cow, these, these are not healthy thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, and at that point I, and started seeing a therapist. I got on antidepressants and um, I started walking and eating healthy and 
I gave myself permission to take care of myself and not to just, you know, do it half-heartedly, but to dive in head first and to address my physical, emotional, and mental needs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that summer last year, I, I lost 55 pounds and I was walking easily seven, eight miles a day. And then on the weekends, I would typically at least one day on the weekend go for a longer, like 10, 11, 12 mile walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a way for me to just clear my mind, listen to some music or a podcast and just get out there and move and get some fresh air. Um, it was, it was really cathartic for me. Yeah, that's great. You've taken, you've taken the time you've realized what's going on and you've given yourself permission to take, to start taking care of yourself. Where was your wife in this? Where was, um, how was the relationship going and how was the conversation going with her? Once you started seeing a therapist, did you, did you bring her in on, on these ideas right away? So in, in hindsight, my, my ex and I, um, saw my transition very differently and, until that point, we had always been very good communicating. We were able to have very candid, very deep conversations, very honest and raw conversations. But when it came to transition, it was tough because we had different goals in mind. She wanted to hold on to her husband, and that was incredibly painful for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't go on with that life. And... So I started seeing a therapist and I don't know if she was in denial or if she was just trying to be the emotional rock in the, in the household, mm-hmm. but she didn't start seeing a therapist um, until months later. So I, I started seeing a therapist in April of, of 2019 and her first session with the therapist was in the first weekend of October. Okay. So um, I was trying to keep her um, involved in the conversation as far as like, here's what happened. Here's what I'm thinking the next step is. Like, are you okay? Are you on board? And her response was you typically lukewarm. And she would say she would support me however she could. So like when it came time in August before school started to tell the kids and she started using female pronouns and oh wow that's great i was i was i was kind of guilty about like having the kids call me any version of mom um but she was really gracious about she was going to be mama and i was going to be mommy okay so we had a way to distinguish but still acknowledge that i'm a woman and to to have the kids reflect that in, in how they talk to us it felt great and not having to come up with some other term or have them call me by my, or, I mean, I've, I've seen some, you know, hybrid versions like Maddie or, you know, something like that. Um, but to have my kids call me mommy felt amazing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really affirming. And what was the, the difference in, in response? Was there much difference between the two? that were old enough to conceive of what was going on? Yeah, I mean, my my oldest is my son, and I think he saw it through a lens of loss. So who is going to play video games or play catch with him or, you know, do typically 
boy thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tried to reassure him, I can still do all that stuff. I mean, just because I'm wearing lipstick or mascara or wearing cute shoes doesn't mean that I throw a baseball. (laughs) But I think he saw it a little bit more through he was losing his dad. Mm -hmm. Whereas my my five-year-old, she was excited because it was another parent to help do her hair and to have tea parties. And um, when, when I got my ears pierced, I took her to get her ears pierced. So we got to share that experience together. That's so wonderfully Um, cute. (laughs) So, I mean, she was, she was excited and she Mm -hmm. was happy. And um, I mean, within, within a week or two though, I mean, it was, it was the new normal and it's the way it was. And I was living as as Rachel on the weekends and going grocery shopping, the movies and um, doing all those normal things. And then during the week, I would put on my now oversized um, suit and tie. And I mean, after after losing 50, 55 pounds, I need a new wardrobe anyway. So uh-huh. <laughs> why the hell not make the change at that point? Yeah. Yeah, that 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 must have been a a weird transition period there, where you're you're still wearing the male clothes, but now you've lost so much weight that they don't fit. So it's just like, uh, excuse me, you need a new suit. It's like, well, there's one coming, <laughs> not what you yeah, expect. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> so, how did the process of coming out to um to the larger public? How did that go down? And what was the level of acceptance like at work and with friends? So I I didn't, I mean, I don't know if anybody was whispering about me at the water cooler or anything like that, but my experience at work was extremely supportive. And I was concerned because as city prosecutor, I work with a lot of different departments. I mean, basically anyone who um, had an ordinance, has an ordinance that enforced there's a chance I'm working with them, mm-hmm. something. And that's especially true with the housing and building inspectors and the police department. So I started off by, um, at work, I probably had a dozen different coming out conversations. Um, <laughs> and I started with my floor at City Hall, which included the mayor's office and the law department. Mm. Um, but I went through and started talking. I talked to all the community police officers in one meeting. I talked to the school resource officers. Um, in another meeting, um, I talked to the municipal court clerks um, individually um, and the municipal court judge individually. Um, so I had a bunch of different conversations at work, and um, the the general consensus was, I mean, the comments that I got were along the lines of, you don't owe anybody an explanation, and mm. um, acknowledging the strength and the bravery it takes to you know, live as I feel comfortable and to be comfortable in my own skin and to make that leap, there were a lot of really supportive words. And um, back before COVID, when we could actually hug each other, there were lots of hugs. When I, when I came out to my family, um, my, my, I came out to my immediate family. So my parents, my two sisters, my brother, my two brothers-in-law, niece, nephew, um, we were actually, um, just outside of Madison, Wisconsin for my cousin's wedding. And 
the morning I, I i didn't i didn't want to steal any of the thunder from the the wedding so um i actually waited until the morning after the wedding when we were all at the hotel continental breakfast um i told everyone like after breakfast like don't go anywhere like can you go into mom and dad's hotel room like um i got something i want to talk to you guys about so we all finish our you know belgian waffles and sausage patties and head over to my parents' room. And then, you know, I've got, I'm standing on one side of the room like, facing everyone else. And my tongue just turned to lead. And like, <laughs> these are, these are my family members. I mean, they love me, but you never know how they're going to take big news like that. And if it's going to completely, like, if they're going to be like, oh, that's no big deal. Or if they're going to be floored. And so I just dove right in and I knew if I started talking, and trying to like explain myself, I would just keep waffling. So I just went straight for it. And okay. I, I, I remember saying, all right, you know, thanks for, thanks for coming this morning. I have some news that I want to share with you. I'm transgender and I'm transitioning. And I kind of went into the spiel that I'd gone through maybe about a half dozen times with work groups at that point. Mm -hmm. So I had a little bit of, you know, practice with what I wanted to say and what I wanted to I didn't owe anyone an explanation. Um, I tried to answer questions as long as they were coming from a place of support and compassion and respect. And, you know, I, I, I wanted my friends to understand. And I mean, unless you've been through dysphoria, it's really tough to understand what that feels like. I mean, if you describe a migraine to someone who has never had a migraine, if you say that it's a really bad headache, that doesn't begin to scratch the surface of how bad it feels and the mind searing pain, you know, focus behind one eye and the blurred vision and all that stuff that goes with it. Mm -hmm. um, describing it just doesn't do it justice unless you've actually felt that pain. So I, I mean, I, I used a lot of analogies and I tried relating it to things that I thought that they could connect to. Um, but at the end of the day, they just had to understand that I had been through a lot of suffering mm -hmm. and I'd been through a lot of hurt and I just needed them to be there and say that they love me and to give me a, yeah. And while people are still wrapping their mind around, like, is this real? I mean, thankfully no one, no one really asked me like, is this a phase or are you sure? Or those kinds of questions. But if you've, if you've experienced dysphoria and I mean, not everyone who transitions experiences dysphoria, but it's a pretty good sign that if you're experiencing dysphoria and as a 16 year old, you're or not 16 as a six year old, you're looking for a different body that you're possibly, you're, you're quite possibly transgender. Mm -hmm. And you know, that transition process looks different for everyone. It's at a different timeline for everyone, but having people who see you and can empathize and understand it goes such a long way towards not feeling alone. Mm -hmm. And just having your friends and family having a support network that you can kind of unload some of that emotional baggage on and it's okay to not be okay mm -hmm. um, it's okay to let that hurt out and to feel that hurt um, and that's part of that's part of the healing process my my mom after i was done said i support you 100 percent my younger sister who um, started a gsa group in at rural Illinois while she was in high school, um, she chimed in, I support you 110%. Mm. And my dad said, 
I love you, son. It was like so close, just couldn't quite stick the landing. And he, my my dad and I have had a number of follow up conversations since then. My parents are both very supportive, and um, they've come a long way um, since last September. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 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 lucky. There are a lot of stories of transition that involve losing jobs, you know, whether it was legally or not legally or for, you know, pretextual reasons, people lose their jobs, people lose family relationships, people lose their spouses, people lose their friends. And I was able to get through my transition only losing my spouse. I felt love in so many more shades. I mean, Mm. you know, with testosterone flowing through me, um, love was either, you know, platonic or romantic. And like, that was it. But now there's just so much more nuance and um, subtlety about those, those feelings of um, love, respect, admiration, and just general goodwill towards, you know, friends, family, coworkers. I mean, the, 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 the estrogen just, just my brain chemistry just feels right now. So when did you first find community? I discovered a pretty amazing um, transgender community on Instagram and um, so supportive and people who could understand and empathize with what I'd been through. Mm-hmm. And locally, I mean, I'd been looking for like an adult support group and there were groups for kids and there were groups for family members, but I was having trouble finding a group for transgender adults as, you know, as we got a couple months into, you know, me discovering that community, a global pandemic hit and we were doing everything virtually anyways. So, you know, that, that distinction between, you know, in real life and online community wasn't that distinct or different, but yeah, finding, finding Instagram was, was huge for me. I mean, I I found Samantha's trans IRL Mm -hmm. um, show, not long after after starting up on Instagram and I just started devouring those episodes and that was a really helpful tool for me early in my transition just you know kind of getting my bearings and um, helping solidify that you know everything was going to normalize and Mm -hmm. um, that the potential for happiness even though you know at the time I just gone through transition my my wife told me January 3rd that um our marriage was over and that we should separate. Mm-hmm. So at that point, when I, you know, met my Instagram friends, I was, I was going through some pretty emotional, heavy stuff with, you know, starting to fill out paperwork to file for divorce and having that community was huge. Yeah. It sounds kind of cheesy or lame when, you know, people say, you know, what, what, what does your support network look like? And I say, oh, my Instagram friends, like I'm not some, you know, dweeby loser, like staring at a computer screen. Like there are some pretty amazing people in this community. Mm-hmm. I'm really lucky that my mom is supportive. Um, and I, I felt fairly safe that she was going to be supportive. Um, she's a pediatrician and there were kids, transgender kids who would see doctors up in the Chicago area. And then they'd come back home and there was no one to administer their injection to get their, for their blockers and 
their hormones. When my mom found out about that, she's like, it's medicine. Like, come over here. I'll, I'll do the injection for you. Oh, wow. Um, so she was, she was the only pediatrician in town. And I mean, it was a town of about, I want to say like 36, 37,000 people, not a, not a huge city, but, um, big enough to have several pediatricians in it. And she was the only one who would give the transgender kids their gender affirming medication. Um, so as I'm starting my transition, hearing that she's the only one who's administering the hormones, it was like, all right, all right, I can work with this. <laughs> nice. I was so tempted. I was so tempted to be like, oh, well, that's great. Just so you know, and just like, letting the cat out of the bag, but I, I wasn't ready to come out to mm -hmm. family or friends at that point yet. Okay. But that, that's gotta be one of those things. That's, that's a great thing to know in the back of your mind of like, okay, I'm, I might actually get her support. Yeah. There are certain signs at work. I mean, I, I, at work, I, I work in an all female department. Our law depart department is seven, very wow. strong, very compassionate uh, women. And they, they embraced me wholeheartedly. Our, our mayor has um, a rainbow flag in his conference room. He's very supportive of the, the community. When there was the Transgender Day of Visibility, he reached out to me personally and um, congratulated me on being visible. I knew that I was going to get some support at work. I just didn't realize how overwhelming it was going to be. Actually, how I, how I came out. So after I'd had all of my um, coming out conversations with um, you know my close friends, my family, work um you know you, the how you know it's official is when you put it on facebook <laughs> and when i when i put it on facebook i i had taken a friday off so that i could go to the hair salon and then immediately after i went to the dmv to get my my driver's license photo taken <laughs> <laughs> i had updated my name on facebook i had updated my gender and i just put the post no my account has not been hacked this is me. And I just let it sit for like 24 hours. Okay. <laughs> a very, was and that a, a very nerve wracking 24 hours? Yeah. Cause like I wanted to just gush mm -hmm. and that post, um, received a lot of support. So I had posted a much longer narrative, um, a, a day, a day later, I, I waited 24 hours and it was ticking down the hours. I wanted to leave it up for a full day. And then I posted my narrative with my experience um, up to that point. I have never felt so much love after that post. Um, I had people reach out to me from every facet of my life. People I went to grade school with, people I went to high school with, people I played sports with that went to different schools in, in Green Bay, people I went to college with, people from every job that I had held every facet of my life showed up in some way, shape or form and acknowledged and supported and showed love. And when people are nervous about coming out and having that conversation now, I mean, I'm lucky that I had so much love and so much support. Yeah. Um, and I know not everybody's in that situation, but I still encourage people to take a chance on, on their loved ones, take a chance on your friends, take a chance on your family, give them the opportunity to surprise you with how much compassion they're capable of. I don't think it was on the narrative, but I think on the post that I just had, no, my account has not been hacked. This is me. Mm -hmm. One of my uh, ex's um, extended family members, 
made a comment um, along the lines of, um, I'll never understand the me generate. <laughs> and that was the, that was the only negative post. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a couple of people that I, former coworkers and um, law school classmates that um, jumped in and took care of that for me. I didn't have to respond, but they, they responded with comments like, I know Rachel better now than I ever have known her before. Mm-hmm. And I don't see how it's selfish to, to not live a miserable life or to suffer needlessly when happiness is so easily by just being authentic and honest and not suffering. And if someone's not happy, it's going to affect their marriage. It's going to affect their relationship. with. It's going to affect, it's going to seep into every facet of their life. So by me transitioning, I think that it it's it's helped a lot of my relationships better, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't see it as being selfish at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely am better off, but I think a lot of people who I have relationships with are better off as. Well, mm-hmm. well I, I get where that comes from. You know that uh, that same lack of uh, ability to be empathetic to it because it's 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 a unique thing. Dysphoria is unique to being trans, so. With that in mind, I think that the outside world views it as a choice, as something that you're you're choosing to do, and and that's where that that thought of it being a selfish act comes from. Is that yeah, I mean, my my choice, my choice came down to I I could not persist um, putting on the suit and tie, mm-hmm. and I had gotten to a point where if I wanted to survive, I needed to transition. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I had a lot of guilt associated with that, you know, roles as a father that I would not be able to fulfill. And I don't know, maybe I still can. But, you know, who's going to take my girls to a father daughter dance or mm-hmm. when they get married at some point, who's going to walk them down the aisle? And one, I mean, a mom can walk a daughter down the aisle, too. Mm-hmm. And two, the bigger concern was like, I need to be there. I need to be at the wedding. Like not in a picture frame. Like I needed to, I needed to survive, and I needed to be there for my kid. Yeah. And this, this is the way that I'm able to do that. I promise you, anyone who goes through transition and goes through a second puberty and risks losing all those relationships, and um, you know, potentially goes through electrolysis and gets their, you know, face electrocuted thousand, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times, it's not for funsies. I mean, this is something that is life affirming and life saving. I just can't emphasize enough that it's it's not a choice to be transgender. I mean, with with the the stigma and the media representation that we've had, who would who would choose to associate as as that? It's an uphill battle every day. And when you have people who reach out to you on social media and say that you are an abomination, like, oh, hello. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. Or they they just read the first the first message that is sent to you is um, you should just kill yourself. Who chooses that? Mm-hmm. I mean nobody nobody chooses that. So it's amazing that that there are so many people who are supportive. There, it's amazing how robust and strong and loving and strong of a community there is in the transgender community. But there are definitely still people who don't understand. Mm-hmm. Part of it is they've never met a transgender person. And I think that if people have a chance to sit down and 
talk with us and realize that we're their neighbors. We are engineers and airline mechanics and teachers and nurses and IT people and, and, and attorneys. And we are their neighbors. They bump into us at the grocery store and they don't even realize it, but we're contributing members to society. We, we care about our communities and we're just normal people. So how far along would you say you are in your journey and, and kind of what are your, what are your next steps? I mean, right, right now things are have kind of stabilized. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not really new milestones. I'm not seeing, you know, huge changes on a week to week basis or a month to month basis. I'm still debating whether um, gender confirmation surgery is right for me. Okay. Um, I'm kind of leaning that way. But when I started transition, it wasn't something that felt like I needed, but more that I am out in my neighborhood walking in leggings and going to the aerial um, workout studio and doing hammock workout classes and, you know, twisting myself around in midair. And I'd like to go swimming more frequently once public swimming pools are open up again. And that becomes a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm, I'm more conscious of it than I thought that I might be. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm still, I'm still figuring that one out, but first I'm trying to I'm trying to get healthcare coverage that that would cover that. I had that like moment of giving myself permission to transition March 26th and by October 10th or not October October 30th um I had updated my license to practice law and my name was legally changed. Wow. So in retrospect like when when my my ex and I um had the discussions about like the marriage is over. She didn't know what she, what to expect as far as a timeline, mm -hmm. but I think she was expecting more in the year to two year range. And from, from March to middle of November, I mean, that's like eight months. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, it went faster than she wanted. Um, of course I, I was ready for it the moment that I had made that decision. So it felt like it was going slow to me. Um, but again, like the, the perception difference and the difference in communication about how we were perceiving the transition. Um, ultimately we, I was already out of the train station and almost to my destination before her train left the station. And it was just too much to, to overcome in our relationship. Um, so when, she finally answered the question um, of whether she could be happy being married to me as a woman. It took her five months to answer that question. Mm. And she finally came to terms with the fact that she couldn't. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking. I mean, if I told you that it was anything other than devastating, I'd be lying. But at the same time, I can't force someone to love me. If, if one person isn't happy in a relationship, it should be okay to call it what it is. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to either party, or in this case, it's not fair to our kids. We've got three amazing kids that we're both crazy about. And because of them, we are going to have to have some kind of relationship for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And if we could put our big girl pants on, 
and have those tough discussions as adults, in the long run, we will be better co-parents. The better we get along, the more we're going to be able to see of our kids. Moving on to, um, as we wrap up here, we've got one fun question and then the, um, just the kind of tag for the end of the show. How did you choose your name? Where did Rachel come from? So I feel like Tiffany stole my thunder last week. (laughs) As an attorney, I sign my name a lot. I mean, Rachel is similar enough to my, my former name that I didn't have to adjust my, my signature too much. And it was important to me to keep my initials and kind of have some symmetry there. So back in 2009, um, my, my, my ex and I went out to Las Vegas for a vacation. And it was the first time I had had like a full-blown makeover. And we went out to um, see a drag show and... When I called for the cab, I had to give a name for the cab to be booked under, and Rachel came out. <laughs> like That was the first time I referred to myself as Rachel. And then years later, when I started transitioning, I'm like, yeah, that's me. Like, that's still me. And then kind of as an appeal to um, not knowing how, how, my, how my dad was going to take the transition, I wanted names that had a biblical presence. Hmm. And I mean, Rachel was the favored wife of Xerxes. And if a woman's badass enough to keep Xerxes under control, that's, that's good enough for me. I'm not sure how the church congregation is going to take, you know, a divorced trans woman in their midst. Mm -hmm. Um, So far, so far, so good. Um, At least, you know, as an olive branch to my, to my dad and, you know, understanding that that's important to, you know, a family member of mine that I wanted to accept me. That's, that's how I came about with Rachel Eve. So with all of your experience and what you've been through, even though it's been really a relatively short amount of time, what advice do you have for young or closeted trans people? Get a support network. Tell somebody. The toughest thing is, is struggling within your own head and not having anyone see you. Once you have someone see you, acknowledge you, and validate you, you just want to tell everyone. I mean, it's a lot easier to have other conversations, to let other people know, and to be closer, to take those steps, you know, living your, your authentic life. I think that there's a, a struggle to transition the right way, and I've hinted at it a few times already. I mean, everyone's going to transition on a different timeline, in different order of operations. And as long as it happens how they want it to happen, that's a, that's, that's a valid transition. And not transition is, is valid. But I think getting a support network and at least telling a few close friends is huge. It's so huge because those feelings of being alone and not being seen be really devastating having the support of a couple of really close friends or family members or whoever you trust is just absolutely huge. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.